All right, I think we're going to get started. Uh, it looks like we don't have a Colin or Jim or anyone to uh, guide us. They must trust us a little bit. I hope it's not, I hope it's not misplaced. Dangerous. Um, I'll start with a word of prayer. Lord Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for uh, your amazing grace and mercy that you have for us. And, and Lord, we just invite you into this, uh, this time we have together, Lord. We pray that we honor you with our, with our speech. We pray that, that um, things that you've, that, you've, uh, that you have taught us over the years, that, that we can <laughs> communicate those that, that uh, might be tools to help uh, other people in the room. <clears throat> move through this uh this uh time we have here on the earth and lord we we just pray that you uh bless this time we have together in jesus name amen, amen. so i'm jerry heath and this is cindy i'm cindy and we've been going uh to Southside almost 20 years now um we've been married for 31 years we have a 25-year-old son who's who's married, who pretty much grew up going to this church, but they live on the west side now. And we're very proud of him. <laughs> him and his wife are both following Christ and, and uh, active in the church and, and trying to honor him with their lives. So we felt like we we might have done something a little right. In spite of ours. In spite, in spite of, of us. In yeah. spite of us, yeah. Um, anything else? No. <laughs> Um, I think our story, our story might be a little bit different than other ones, other testimonies that have been here, so I hope it doesn't put anyone off, <laughs> but uh, God's done, uh, God's done amazing work in our lives, and we'd like to, we'd like to share that with you. Yeah, I think the only thing I would add to that is uh, we are not teachers in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. We're or not, preachers. No teacher, no preacher, no none of that. So uh, I think they invited us mostly to tell you what not to do because everybody else before us was pretty awesome. So <laughs> you can get your money back if you want. <laughs> but just that's our disclaimer. All right. Well, I'll start. Um, I grew up in California, and I grew up going to Episcopal Church. And... Um, Sunday school, I did learn about the Bible, and, and, uh, but I never, I never learned about a relationship with Christ. I, was a, I, was, I memorized all the stuff and got confirmed, and, um, and I was actually, a, uh, they call them acolytes, but I held the candle while the guy was reading the gospel and, and did other stuff. Um, and it was fun, and but it was it was I know for my parents and for me it was more of a I don't think they were following Christ, and I think it was more of a social uh, community more uh, than than uh, their relationship with Christ. And um, my parents my parents got pregnant while they were still in high school. My mom got pregnant. Um, she was 16, and my dad was 18. So they got in those days they got married and. Um, when I was 12 or 13, my mom decided that she had missed out on life and left. And so it was just me, my dad, and my brother. 
And so we kind of did a slow fade away from church. We stopped. We stopped attending, and, and I'd say from that point on, I never, I just didn't acknowledge God as part of my life. I never disbelieved or was angry at him or anything like that. I just, I just, he didn't come into, into my decision making or, or thoughts or anything like that. Um, and uh, my dad was absent a lot because uh, he worked all the time, not because he, I always, we always felt he loved us and the time we did spend together was great, but he was absent a lot, so I started making some pretty poor choices and doing kind of what I wanted to do. Uh, so I started smoking pot probably before I started drinking and, and drinking, but I was still a good student and played all the sports and didn't get in too much trouble. But um, uh, that continued on through high school, and then there was there was you know still the drugs and alcohol and. Uh, promiscuity all my friends parents pretty much were divorced so that was pretty normal that my mom was gone unfortunately <coughs> um, and uh, all the other partying and and uh, not doing things I should with with females was just pretty much the norm in the in the group I hung out with and that uh, that continued on I ended up going to University of Houston and that's where I met Cindy so I'll let, I'll let her catch you up to her. Um, so I guess I would say um, I come from a dysfunctional family. Um, my parents never actually got married. Um, my dad was still married when my mom uh, and him got together. He kind of actually um, went from two different households until I was probably six, seven, eight years old. And um, so they each had had kids before and then got together. So they never actually got married uh, my whole life until he passed um, 25 years ago. So um, pretty dysfunctional in terms of uh, not, like there wasn't like huge support, there wasn't like you don't talk about feelings, you're kind of to be uh, seen but not heard, uh, that kind of thing. So, uh, and very, very strict, uh, but they, um, they were all for us going to church. There was a church uh, that had a Bible ministry that sent uh, a bus to go pick up kids and take them to church and take them back home. So um, I did that from the time I was probably fifth or sixth grade through high school. Um, so at that church, um, I'm probably oversimplifying, but basically what happened was I was told, there's a heaven, there's a hell, you gotta say this prayer, you're gonna go to hell. And hell was pretty scary to a little kid, you know. Um, so, oh yeah, sign me up, I gotta say that prayer, done, check. So I missed out on the true gospel. There was no correlation between that prayer and what your life looks like in Christ. I didn't get that at all. So um, when I was 18, I went off to college. First of all, I couldn't wait to get out of the house. And the second thing was I felt like I was missing out because uh, in high school, you, you know, people are, to Jerry's point, people are drinking alcohol, taking drugs, having sex, and you, you know, I just 
thought I was missing out because I bought it hook, line, and sinker. So I uh, went off to college and just, you know, basically took it to a whole new level. I was like, here I am, going to do it all. So that was uh, a couple years of that kind of lifestyle. Just totally got into the party lifestyle. Like, that's all I was there for. Um, and like Jerry said, that's where we met. So we're uh, in Houston, and that basically that lifestyle continued on until we, uh, so we met, we fell in love, we moved in together. What else do you do when you're not following Jesus and you think that's just the thing to do? Um, we moved in together, that lifestyle continued, and then we decided to um, kind of get our lives together. We were in the restaurant business at the time. We decided to kind of get our life together and get real jobs, which just meant, you know, work during the day and not at night. We never, <laughs> but neither one of us ever graduated. We, right. we both left right. college. So uh, we ended up moving back to California and uh, kind of got into this pattern of uh, animosity, resentment, conflict, fighting. Everything was an argument. Uh, and then the fix was always something like uh, a great new job, that promotion. And we were both actually doing well in our jobs and, uh, you know, advancing, I guess. The outside of our life it look, looked great. Looked shiny. And um, if someone asked us, we'd tell them we were doing fine. Yeah, and, but yeah. go ahead. And what she forgot to mention is I was drinking alcoholically by this time. So you know, uh, whether it was a lot on the weekends or every day, it was in, in and yeah. out. And that was that was the 300 pound gorilla in the room that we, we never talked about it because she was still actively yeah. drinking, but not, not alcohol. Yeah, it didn't like look that. weird to me. Um, I know that sounds strange to a lot of you, but it just didn't, didn't look really weird to me. Um, because that was kind of the pattern. But anyway, along with those patterns were um, about the fixes were like... Um, we bought our, we are we focused for a year eating Top Ramen and flash frozen chicken breast to save money and bought our first house. So with our focus fully on that and working all the time, we weren't dealing with our non, pretty much yeah. non-relationship. So it basically um, went like, oh, let's get married. Okay, fine for a little That's bit. A Chaos. Yeah. Uh, let's buy our first house. Uh, okay, things are going downhill again. Uh, let's have a baby. That's an awesome idea. It turned out to be an awesome idea, but uh, let's have a baby. Um, so then when things got really, really bad, uh, we decided a geographic move was the best move. So still never talking about my drinking, still never yeah. talking about our non marriage. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But we thought so we said Spokane. Yeah. Let's go to Spokane. And as <laughs> as God would have it, uh, that happened because somebody in that we knew in California had moved to Spokane to be with a uh, a sick parent, and they invited us to come up and visit. Never been here. You, know, you come to Spokane in July, and you're like, yes, this is awesome. <laughs> um, so that I mean, we really did. We were kind of at that place where like. Let's just move. That'll solve a lot of stuff. So we did. We moved a thousand miles away to Spokane. 
And after after Cindy uh, after Cindy was pregnant with Taylor, she she chilled out on on you know she just she still have a glass of wine once in a while or something. But but she stopped. But I didn't. If anything, I escalated. But again. I had the type of job where people didn't call me out on it, I, and I did my job well. And so we had our nice house and our cars and our stuff and miserable marriage. But on, you know, it, we looked okay on the outside. Uh, no one knew except for us, and we knew and didn't ever talk about it. Um, so we're in Spokane, and. Uh, and Cindy finally gave me an ultimatum. And, well, she gave me a few ultimatums, but she never followed through. But she finally, I came home and she had circled some apartments and said, you can have the cars, you can have the house, you can have the money, I'm taking Taylor and splitting if you don't do something. So I actually went out and uh, went to an AA meeting and actually found a sponsor right away and there were still a couple hiccups, but n nothing big. But um, but I pretty much, you know, that's when I stopped drinking. And um, and things things didn't really didn't really change that much, other than the pressure was off of of she wasn't going to leave. Um, I remember I remember uh, uh, the guy I met that night. He happened to be a Christian, but I remember one of the first things he told me was, um, you know, we can get you to stop drinking, but if, and I'm not going to say the word, but he said, if you were a expletive while you're drinking, when you get sober, jerk. <laughs> jerk, if you were a jerk, you're still going to be a jerk when you stop drinking. That's the drinking's not the problem. The drinking is just a symptom of your problem. And, uh, so in, in that, uh, in starting to do the 12 steps, I started thinking about God again, because it's a, it's a very, you know, uh, you know, it just, the first three steps just teach you there is a God and you're not it, and you can't do it, you can't be sober or have a life without him. You know, and that's, you know, that's simplifying it, but basically that's what it was. So. I started actually thinking about God again, and, and uh, of course, that's all he wanted was a little chink in my armor, and mm -hmm. and he just started throwing stuff at me left and right. You know, at, at the time, I probably would have called it coincidence, but then again, the same man told me that coincidence is just when God chooses to remain anonymous. So, um, so things are starting to change for me. Cindy's still a little. I yeah, don't know so, if I could trust this guy. Yeah, so my thing was, um, so one of the first things that happened was Jerry said, I think God's trying to get my attention. And that was just a very strange thing to hear him say. Hard as it may be to believe, we had never, ever had a conversation about God to this point, ever. So for him to say that was really kind of out of left field. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, whatever, as long as you're not drinking, fine, okay, whatever you say. But what he was getting at was that uh, he, we, we had started, so people had invited us to Southside, and um, he said, and we were going sporadically, but he said, the last, uh, I don't know, several weeks 
like this happened for many weeks at a time. Whatever is being talked about at church is exactly what my home group in AA is talking about. Like consistently, week after week. It was just wild to him and to me that that was happening. And that, that really kind of made me think like, is it even possible? How could, I don't, I don't know the kind of God who would do that for us, especially how bad we've been and how, you know, cause that's how you're thinking at that time. It's just all related to the bad stuff you do and how God is very displeased with you and all that stuff, right? That's, that's where I was. So, um, I got into Jerry's truck one time and it was on this Christian music radio station and I'm like, oh man, he's really going over the top, you know? I, it was just like so different and new. And again, I was like, well, okay, as long as he's not drinking and I don't even know how long that's gonna last. So I'm still in this state at this time of, um, he's, he's gotta like behave and not drink and I'm staying. I'm still of that mind. Without really discussing it with him, I was kind of in my mind thinking, like, if it goes back to the way it was, I'm out. Like, I always had that in the back of my, in my mind at this time. Um, so we continued going to this, this weird church where people are singing these weird songs about Jesus, I am so in love with you, and that was really weird. We came late, we left early, like don't talk to anybody, don't fill out anything, don't want these people contacting us. And I think at the time, the only conversation we had about that was, this is good for us to bring our, so Taylor's like five years old at this point. It's good, somebody needs to teach this kid about God. It shouldn't be us, we know nothing, right? That's the only reason we went back to church. So we kept coming. Taylor needed to learn about God. So one of the first, things that was kind of very surprising to both of us is uh, they had this, they were starting this small group thing where you were going to talk about this book called The Purpose Driven Life. And it was like church-wide, everybody's encouraged to get into small groups to talk about this thing. We didn't even know what it was about. We just, for, for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit that day told both of us to fill out this card, which we said we would never do. We both filled it out and said we were interested in this. And we're kind of looking at each other going, why are we doing this? <laughs> but that's how God works. So it was, it was in that group of people um, that we started like, ah, okay. So this whole gospel thing is about Jesus and his coming so that we can be in right relationship with the Lord. And it's not about, you know, you show up and you check boxes and you say the prayer and you do the shiny outside thing and then you're good, um, which is what I had seen growing up. So it was in the context of that group. Go ahead. And, and it wasn't, The Purpose Driven Life was a, was a good book. You know, it was, worth, it was worth reading and talking about, but it wasn't, that's not what kept us in the group and that wasn't the attraction. It was, it was the community of the group. It was, uh, it was, for the most part, the people in the group were real people who had real problems, and it wasn't, they weren't projects, or they, it wasn't, the time wasn't all devoted to those, it was just people 
that were willing to say, hey, we're, we're just all broken. We're, we're stumbling through this life together and we're trying to follow Jesus. And we actually saw people in the group that were living what the Bible said. They were, they were trying to actually live out the words in the Bible, you know, and, and that's, what, that's what kept us in that group and kept us and, and the attraction. They were truly shining his light and attracting us to him. So um, not too long after that, um, probably just a few weeks after beginning that group and going, uh, ha- starting to have those kinds of conversations, um, on a Sunday morning, um, I, I just remember um, we, we were in church and there's just this very like, you know, sometimes you're in church and you just know that God has that message for you. It was just the invitation of like, aren't you sick of living for yourself? Don't you want to know, don't, don't you know your true purpose is to, you, you were made for God, you were made to glorify him and to live for him. And, um, you know, the invitation was given and I was like, yes, streaming. And I had heard, you know, like I felt like I, I kind of knew what they were saying, but I didn't get the other part of it. I just knew the, like I said, the, the prayer, uh, get out of hell free card part of it and not the following Jesus and having a full life abundant in him that was like that day that's what touched my heart that's where I was uh, truly I, I just feel like my eyes were open my ears were open and I'm a lame so I didn't know that I was supposed to remember the date and write it down and chisel it in stone I don't remember the and date. write it in colors in front of my bible and whatever every you know and uh, so all I know is I said that prayer like every single week just in case you know I was a novice so because um, I'd never really even heard about it before I mean in, in the Episcopal Church when you're it just wasn't like that you know um, and I'm not I'm not saying there's not tons of believers in Episcopal Church I'm just saying I I was lame and didn't I wasn't listening hard enough or something um, yeah so same time period while we were in that group, I would say um, I gave my life to Christ over and over and over. Um, and so our relationship wasn't really that much better. There was just less conflict. I don't, I don't think we were more loving at, to each other at that point. I think we, we were able to communicate better. And I think with starting starting to understand who Jesus was and what he did for us and that grace of course it affected our lives and made it better but I don't we hadn't really started tackling what uh, now that we were getting some of the garbage away we weren't really tackling the core the core of what was wrong mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so um, being in small groups and actually talking to other people about um, you know, the hard things of marriage and sort of these bad, uh, I don't know, coping mechanisms, I guess, was kind of the start of that. Um, actually feeling like you're not a weirdo because you have issues, actually not feeling like a, a, a weirdo because uh, you don't have it all figured out, um, was very, uh, you know, comforting to not feel like um, you have to have it all figured out and you have to look a certain way and talk a certain way. And, um, have it all figured out. So um, it was it was during one of those um, 
small group sessions, like little things started to stand out. Like um, there was a couple that we knew that said they never, uh, they never joked about, um, somebody had made a joke in the group about, uh, oh, I better be careful, my wife, my, my girlfriend might not, it was some reference to having a girlfriend, being married. And this couple was like, you know, in a very loving, non-confrontational way, they're just like, you know, that's just kind of one of those things that we just don't joke about because like that, that doesn't honor God. And I, I forget how they put it. It was very like, and you know, when you're a new follower of Jesus, those things really stand out to you because you're interested in, uh, in his heart and how, you know, like you want to align with his heart, his mind, that kind of thing. So those kinds of things do start sticking out. And that's kind of where we first started seeing the difference of, oh, this is supposed to look different. My goodness, it looks very different. Like, don't make fun of your spouse. Don't have uh, the same uh, attitudes and flippant remarks about that kind of stuff. So it's just little things like that. And I'd say, I hesitate to call it the turning point, but I'd, I'd say a, a pivotal moment or pivotal amount of time, what really affected our relationship was when we got it through our thick heads that we needed to stop concentrating on the other person. Mm -hmm. We needed to focus on our relationship with Christ and get that right and not be focused on the other person's, whether focused that there are everything or focused with everything that we thought that was wrong with them and why what we could change, what we wanted to change about them or whatever, because, you know, the reality is we have no power to change our spouse. You know, mm -hmm. only he does. So when we started to understand that our focus was to be on Christ, not the other person, that just, that changed everything. And of course, we still, we still miscommunicate. We still have problems. We still have conflict, but, but it's totally different now. Before, before it cycled into, into worse things. Um, we, we took longer on that. That's all right. Um, all right. So I think, so we were a little concerned doing this because we know there's, there, there are some young Marys in here and, and how this, how our story could be applicable to you. And we just, we just wanted to make sure you knew that this is just all degrees. We we happen to go to extremes, but that doesn't mean that that uh, there are going to be uh, things that come into your marriages. Like um, I mean, what what kind of things? How how would conflict manifest itself, or how does conflict manifest itself in your marriages? That's a pretty broad question, but. I, I remember, I don't think they're here today, but I remember a young man stating that they were talking about kids or something and he stated that, oh yeah, when she does that, I roll my eyes and then it really, then it's really on, right? So, I mean, that's just one little thing. What kind of things, and I, we're not asking you to out your spouse or anything, but in, in general, um, you know, how does, how does sarcasm work in marriages? Dave. <laughs> oh, <don't go. laughs> 
I'm calling him out because he's sarcastic to me. I don't know what he does with his wife, but he's good at it, too. Um, so I think our point is, like, maybe you don't come from a, a background of addiction. Maybe you don't come from a background of a broken home. Um, but there are other things that seep in there that can be that big thing, uh, and maybe it's over a, a period of time that can seep in, like um, anger but issues. Uh, passive aggressive, you know, mm -hmm. door slamming and pouting and. Uh, like that sarcasm. Yeah, make sure you know, you want them to know you're mad, but you're not gonna, you're, you're above being, you avoid, know, you're the, so, taking the high road. So <laughs> avoiding. Uh, yeah, nagging, uh, you know, it's like that, you know, the, the classic earmarks of how people uh, tend to deal with conflict, right? Um, so they're not big hairy things, they, on the surface they don't look like big hairy things like addiction and uh, coming from a broken home and that type of, overcoming those kinds of things, but they can become that if not dealt with. Yeah. Especially the unresolved conflict always turns into resentment. I mean, we as human beings, Colin touched on it in there, what, we remember the bad stuff way more than the good stuff. For some reason, we can keep track of all the offenses against us. We can keep track of every little habit that, that bothers us. You know, why do, you know, I don't know why that is, because I guess it's the fall, but um, for some reason, most human beings can remember all the bad stuff and have a hard time with the uh, good, encouraging, uplifting stuff. Um, not so to say that we don't, but. In that, in that same vein, so the um, conflict leads to resentment, resentment leads to bitterness. Um, one of, the, one of the, the most helpful things I think somebody gave to, it might have been um, back in the day, Pastor George may have given us this article, but it's an article called How to Be Free from Bitter Bitterness. And it's by uh, a guy named Jim Wilson. And that thing really had a really profound impact on me and just my, uh, I was confronted by this spirit of criticism that I was, I was engaging in a spirit of criticism and um, bitterness toward Jerry and um, it was it was kind of left over from you know all those years of feeling like well gosh he's he's drunk he's not doing what he says he's gonna do he keeps lying to me about it uh, he's tried to get sober over and over and I'm dealing with our son and his you know, all the care for him, and he's just kind of, uh, you know, leaving me alone, uh, even though we're in the same house. And so it was like years of that type of, uh, I don't know, interaction made me uh, feel like I was okay to treat him a certain way because I had to endure all that. And I mean, coming to terms with that after coming back to Christ is like, there's just, of course there's gonna be this calm, that's just. A, so it took being around other people and talking about it and uh, talking to a pastor and t 
to kind of see this and going, yeah, that there's a root of bitterness in there. It has, it has no place. And I have to learn how to communicate and to relate to my husband and get rid of all that other stuff that I have still uh, layered on. Like it was like uh, it was like my safety net, I guess, because that was the only way I knew how to relate to him was sort of to to have this leg up um, in an argument, uh, in decision making. So you know, I had I had tried to kind of run the run the home because I felt like he was absent. So it was like that classic, uh, whatever you call it, conflict of me wanting to be in charge because, you know, well, that's the way I had to do it, so I'm just going to keep doing it. That was my attitude. And it was obviously through God's word and through people in our lives and talking to pastors, but hey, guess what? That That's not the way you do it if you're in Christ, right? Yeah. So, And clear, clearing away the obvious garbage now we are starting to get down uh, and that in, in our lives that root of bitterness it had rooted you know so that's when we we had to start uh, admitting that and working on that and uh, when I sobered up I uh, I figured out that she wasn't always right you know that that our troubles were 50-50 but you know when I was when I was not being a good husband, I just didn't want, I just didn't want the conflict because I knew I, I had this blaring wrong sin I was doing, right? So, but when that was cleared away, we've, we were able to figure out, she was able to figure out, she was owning her part and I was starting to own my part and then we were, start, we were trying to figure out what to do about it. And, and Ephesians 4.31, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. And we had to acknowledge that we were holding on to the past, that we were keeping a record of wrongs, that we were uh, not being not being loving, you know. So uh, the recognition of that is probably the biggest step, you know. Just recognizing that there that was there, and we needed. How do we get from here to there? And like Cindy said, that that bitterness art article was a good one, and we can steer <laughs> you guys to it. It's, he's he was a I think he actually he just died, but he's a pastor down in Moscow, Idaho. And uh, uh, anyway, uh, Cindy's going to read a little excerpt that was really that was really uh, really helped us out, um, and and it was a way to recognize a big way to recognize uh, something that was wrong in our lives. Mm -hmm. um, for a cup brimful of sweet water cannot spill even one drop of bitter water however suddenly jolted. It is full of sweet water and it is jolted. I'm sorry, if it is full of sweet water and it's jolted, what will come out of it? Sweet water. If you gave it a harder jolt, what's going to happen? More sweet water. If someone is filled with sweet water and someone else gives him a jolt, what will come out? Sweet water. Jolts do not turn sweet water into bitter water. 
That is done by something else. Jolts only bring out of the container what's already in the container. If you're filled with sweetness and light and you get jolted, you're going to spill out sweetness and light. If you're filled with honey, the honey will come out. If vinegar comes out, what does that prove? It shows what was already in the container. In other words, much bitterness is not based upon what the other person did at all. It's the result of what we do and what we are. So that was, that was huge in, in my life. That's, that's part of what uh, I was confronted with and taking that to the Lord and saying, Lord, remove this from me. I don't want this here. It doesn't honor you. Um, and it turns out over the years as we've talked to people who, uh, who have been in crisis, uh, whether because of addiction, most of the time people come to us and the man is in some sort of addiction and the wife is kind of at the end of a rope. Um, so there's, what I can speak to is the bitterness aspect because very often the wife thinks um, if, if this guy would just get it together, everything would be great. Well, that's what I thought. I thought that all of my problems were because of my husband who drank alcoholically. And it wasn't until I came to know Jesus that I was confronted with, guess what, sister, we got work to do in you. And that was a huge surprise. Because there's, you know, we always want to do these level things like, oh, I'm not that bad, I'm not that bad. We always want to do that. And, and Jesus just says, Jesus does away with that. Everybody's on the same playing field. Um, so it's pretty uh, awesome that somebody with that kind of background can actually say to somebody else, hey, I've, I've been there and I, all I know is Jesus. I don't have any, uh, you know, here's 10 things to do. I don't have, you know, people who want to um, be on a better eating plan or they want to lose weight or whatever, they just say, oh, I just want to do the quick, give me the, and it's like, well, guess what? It takes time and discipline and all the things you don't want to hear, right? Um, so it's kind of the same thing. It's like, guess what? We've been given everything. God has given us everything to live a godly life. I think it's, what is it, Second Peter 1.3, right? So he's done that. But we don't, we don't always think that that's really true. I think we want the, the 10 easy steps. We want the self-help book. We want to listen to a podcast. But it's the, it's the, you have salvation, you have Christ, you have his word, it turns out we're supposed to do what's in it. And that's, that's right. where the abundant life comes from. Oh, spoiler alert. It was just like, it really was. Mm -hmm. It's simple. It's almost too simple. Yeah. So that second Peter verse says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So, so, we started we started doing what the bible said not just reading it and we started communicating more we're still not she's a way better communicator than i am i think that might be that's scary i don't want to generalize but I, 
I think women are generally better communicators. Um, but, but, but we do communicate now, and um, we do have a few things to, to go through that, are, that have been passed on to us by, by other couples, you know, like practical, practical tools. But we don't want to miss the fact that, that um, we had to put ourselves in position for God to work. You know, like Cindy said, it wasn't five e easy steps to following Christ and your marriage will be awesome. Um, it was it was just time and breaking old habits and developing developing Christ honoring habits. Um, and Can you I know, yeah. uh, Dave Long taught us to be fat, faithful, <laughs> available, teachable. That's huge. I mean, can you honestly say that? Can you honestly say that you are those things when you, especially when you're in this hand, whatever, you know, you're just like, you're not being faithful, available, and teachable. You want somebody to tell you you're right and that you deserve and whatever, those, all the things that the world wants to tell you. So this is what we tell people that we meet with usually. Like, we have two choices. You can either fall into the world's lies or you can trust God and his word. So the world will say things like happiness is more important than holiness. Uh, we know that's not true. God says be holy because I'm holy. That's Leviticus 19.2. Yeah. The world says if marriage doesn't suit you, just get divorced. But what does God say? For I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. And the world says uh, forgive Forgive them if they deserve it. But God, God tells us the exact, exact opposite. Forgive as the Lord forgives. You know, and, and unfortunately, our marriage relationship is our closest relationship. Therefore, it seems to be the hardest to forgive. Um, so... Do you guys have any questions about our testimony or anything? We're kind of droning on here. <laughs> Clarifying questions? No. Um, so over over the years, um, I, well, first again, um, just because our our testimony is kind of extreme and we're talking about people in recovery and stuff like that, it it remember it just it doesn't it's just degrees. So. Uh, conflict um, leads to resentment and resentment leads to bitterness and once that root of bitterness is in you it just keeps growing and unless it's taken care of and so that's that's the basis whether you're in recovery or not the people we talk to happen to have the blatant this big blatant shining sin but once that once that's cleared away it's it's the same. It's the same thing. There's. It's a two-way street. It's never, you know. I'm sure in extreme cases of abuse or something like that, you can say this person is pretty much at fault for this. But in the other 90% in marriages um, where people are trying to muddle through, it's it, both people need to be working on their relationship with Christ, and it's both people have an interest in that, and both people are right and both people are wrong. And and so both people need to be working on that. Good question. Yeah. Yes. 
if you had it to do all over again, what is that one thing you wish you knew early enough that you could share with young couples today? After we came to Christ, uh, that um, I guess th this came a little bit longer. Um, I think be willing to ask the Lord, what is it in me that you would change, Lord? Reveal what's in my heart. I think I would have done that much earlier. It, it, took, it took years to get to that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I would say I, I would say similar. I, I think I people people in recovery say I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic, I, and I was like, I, I laughed at them when they said that thing. But it took me years, but I got it. But I think I had a leg up on the whole part of accepting accepting my responsibility. Mm -hmm. I I think once we can do that with God, that that I'm. I am the problem. I'm part of the problem. I'm, I'm responsible for me. I'm responsible how I respond. I'm responsible for the choices I make. You know that the personal responsibility instead of blaming. It's my situation. It's my coworkers. It's my wife. It's my everyone's driving me to make these bad decisions. You know, and I, I think we all have the tendency to do that. So just uh, taking responsibility for myself that is between me and him, mm -hmm. it, it's not It's not this down here. Yeah, um, and that brings another thing. I think the other thing was um, uh, that, to what you were saying, being willing to say, um, stop saying, Lord, please change him. And say, God, change me, change my heart. And, and I always tell the wives, you know what your responsibility is? Stop focusing on him, focus on Jesus, and stop believing that after he changes, if only he would change, everything would be better. That was the other thing is, um, it's just, that's just a lie. It's just God is inviting you to trust him in a way you have never trusted him before. Will you do it? What was your question? Um. My question is about the external order. Um, in Africa, we say marriage is it's a community thing. Mm -hmm. In other words, it goes beyond just you and your husband. Mm -hmm. It involves a whole range of other parties, family, friends, the church, you know. So mm -hmm. how has this external order How has being a yeah. community? Yeah, community? Oh gosh, mm, that's big. Uh, I think that uh, seeing others, so we learn from the longs, uh, the buyers, a, a lot of people in our lives, the Comstocks, um, the Harpers, just in the same way that we see people like they're very tender toward one another. I never heard him say a bad thing about her. She doesn't put her husband down. Uh, the, the, there's those things. And then you see other people are like, wow, I can't believe he, he talks to her harshly. So being in community, you see it all. You should. You should be open enough to 
to hang out with everybody. That's why, you know, don't be so quick to hang out with people just like you because we need diversity in our groups, right? From, from people who are new to Christ, pre-Christians, married, divorced, old, young, we need to be together so that we can see these things play out. The way people treat their kids, the way they speak to one another, the way they deal with conflict, all of it. So that's been huge to us. Like, in other words, it's just as important to see what to do than maybe what not to do. So yeah, yeah, we, you know, Christ first, and then our spouses. But like she said, to to answer you, I've never had God talk to me in a deep voice or whatever booming from the clouds, right? But I I know for a fact He talks to me through other people and. Mm -hmm. And through coincidence and through things that happen, I know I know for a fact he does that way. And I'd like to think we would have kept growing and maturing in our Christian walk, but I think it grew. We grew exponentially because of community, because we had people speaking into our lives. We had good examples set for us, because neither one of us had good examples for our marriage from our own parents. Um, so I mean we we weren't we weren't doing anything wrong or right. We didn't we were just flying by the seat of our pants. We didn't know how, what a marriage was supposed to look like, you know. And and I envy people who had uh, Christ honoring parents who who gave them an example, you know. Mm -hmm. And don't waste it. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so al along the way, um, people did give us. Like Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun, so we, none of these are original ideas to us. Um, but um, again, sorry, Longs, but I think you guys said this in, in one of your things. <laughs> or a good a good tool is um, in a conflict when you're having conflict, learn to say I'm sorry. Period. That's Meaning it. you say the word we period. We say the word period after it. Because that, that means I want to say but, or if you only wouldn't have done that, or yeah. you're you wrong. Made me, you <laughs> made me. Why are you laughing, Ansley? <laughs> <laughs> but, I'm sorry, but, yeah. or I'm sorry, but, but you can see that the reason I acted like that was because. It's like, that's not an apology. That's not even close to an apology. That's an excuse. And, and we get, you know, we get pushback on that because it's like, well, what if I actually am right? Well, it doesn't matter because in your response, somewhere in there, you were wrong. Even if the actual whatever the conflict is about, you're on the right side of it, it doesn't matter. You're saying, I'm sorry for my part in this. You're not saying, I'm sorry, you're right. I should have never doubted you, or you know, that's what people think when we say, our, "I'm sorry," that we're saying the other person's all right in whatever the conflict is, right? But we're not. We're just saying, "I'm sorry for my part in this right now." How but, do you manage that thereafter? Do you let it? Do you leave it at "I'm sorry," period, or do you wait for a moment when you see come back yes. to have a conversation? Great question. It? Yes, you can we've. Set yeah, you can We've set learned a that. conflict resolution time or whatever. Or, you know, in reality, half the time it's so dumb that you don't even need to come back to it, right? Because really what another, another one of these is giving up your right to be right. Most of the time our conflicts digress to trying to figure out who's, who's right. And it doesn't really matter most of the time, right? It doesn't, 
it doesn't really matter. It digresses to that. So when you say I'm sorry, period, a lot of the times there are things that, yeah, no, don't, don't avoid. Talk about things that need to be talked about. Get them resolved. But don't, but not everything, you figure out, not everything needs to be resolved. Half the time it's just silly bantering, trying to figure out who's right, you know, about a, did you fill the salt shaker? You know, I mean, why do, how can we, how can we, uh, there's a nice story you have not talked about. Our everyday life, mm -hmm. how that impacts on our spiritual formation. Mm -hmm. You go to work, she goes to work, you come home. Um, who does the dishes? Who does the dinner? Who does the vacuuming? Who does laundry? Who takes the kids to the, um, to the park? Mm -hmm. These are aspects that you have not touched on. And you led us into that aspect of your life. About how figuring yes. out who does those kinds of things enters into the... Your everyday style of mm -hmm. managing yourself. Mm -hmm. How the, the coming of Taylor into your lives also change or did not change something. I think the thing, the overarching thing, I mean, there's no easy answer to that, but I think the overarching thing was we both uh, purposed to believe that because of Jesus, he is for me and I am for him. Mm. We are not enemies. Satan is our enemy. Mm. That's, that's kind of where it changed. So all those things of the practicalities, day-to-day -day things, they had a whole different, I don't know, veneer. Like we looked at him through a different lens of like, I'm not accusing you of not doing enough. I'm not, we're not trying to blame. It's more like, how can we do this together? Because we're one and you are for me and I'm for you. So let's make this work. It was a whole different approach than, you know, what, are you kidding me? You're asking me to, it's not, it's like, honey, we're on the same team. How do we do this? How do we do this together? Help me figure, help me figure this out. It, I think that was the Yeah, the, yeah there's no, everyone's house is gonna be different, right? Because we all, we all have different lives. But, but just coming together and not being enemies, you know, being for one another. And in reality, we're supposed to serve one another, right? If you're trying to outserve him and he's trying to outserve you, somehow both of your needs are going to be met, right? <laughs> One way or the other. So it, it all, it has to do with our right relationship with Christ and having that, that, that attitude. It doesn't solve the problems, but it makes resolving them easier. You know, coming, coming together to solve them instead of being envious that you think you have to work more than the other person. You know, when you come at, when you come at those things like that, then it's a keeping score kind of thing. And um, yeah, yeah. So good hard question. Here are, um, here's some more takeaways. Uh, so you already led on to the other one, outdo one another in serving. Um, thank your spouse and be specific. Um, and along the same lines of that, compliment or even brag on your spouse to your friends, to other family, to your kids, in front of your kids. Uh, be very purposeful about that. Um, I think sometimes that um, that helps to um, 
kind of keep at bay this feeling of like, I'm not appreciated, the things I do aren't seen, or that kind of thing. Like, you can't overdo it in complimenting and thanking your spouse. Just get in the habit of doing it. And I'm, I'll have to tell you, I'm the worst. I grew up like, no one gets complimented for what they're supposed to do, you know? Why am I gonna tell you you did a good job? You're, that's, that's, you're supposed to do that, you know, so. Um, yeah, so I, that's like, for me, that's it. I have to be super intentional about that. Um, and it looks like I'm the only one in the room. Um, and so, it also, you're demonstrating to your kids, you know? I mean, if you don't have kids now, you will. Uh, the same as the same as be quick be quick to to say that I'm sorry period or apologize purposely in front of your kids I mean we almost got so bad we almost made stuff up in front of Taylor just so, so I could apologize to him and demonstrate I'm a I'm a man I'm above you I'm you know you're supposed to be obedient to me but I'm saying I mean I didn't state all that but I would I would do things so I could apologize to him to try to demonstrate to apologize. I would apologize instead of going off in the back room and doing our conflict, we would try to do that in front of them together. Like, I'm sorry, honey, I shouldn't have snapped at you because she bumped my cup and some vinegar <laughs> spilled out on her, you know? Um, so so it's all, it, it serves twice. It encourages her and your modeling behavior for your kids. Yeah. Yeah, just, oh man, you know how weird it was to me to learn that uh, you should apologize to your kid? Like, are you kidding me? My, <laughs> my dad was like, this is the way it is, and you better like it. If you don't like it, there's the door. I mean, how opposite, that's just so, it, it blows your mind. Like, the Jesus way is not for the faint of heart. You're like, what? Really? So, again, like, be open to saying, Lord, change my heart, change my mind, change everything about me, because there is just, there's vinegar in here, right? Um, so I think that that's kind of, I think that's surprising that couples that come to us and they're like in crisis and they're, they're just, you know, their hair's on fire. They're just trying to figure, and it's like, okay, come back to the one. Come back to Jesus. Come, like, make him your, pursue him. Pursue him, pursue mm -hmm. him, because he's the one. He's the only reason we have hope that this gets better, because he's in, he's in the equation. He's in it. If we rely on, on ourselves, where did that get us? So that's, that's like, that's no big mystery, but when people are in crisis, they can't see that. So there's no big trick to it, but when people come to you and ask you these things, that's, like, you don't, people feel like, oh, you guys need to talk to them because we don't know what to say to them. It's like, yes, you do. Jesus, yes, you do. You do. I mean, you don't know how many people come to us and say, oh, you, got, you guys need, like, no, what's wrong with you? You can do it, right? It just, it doesn't mean you have had, you have to have had the same experience. So, then, and so, so don't let it get to the bitterness. That, I think that would be our biggest takeaway because a lot of the people that, that we talk to, they pretty much already made up their minds that they're done. And they mm -hmm. just want to check the box that, mm -hmm. oh, we tried. Mm -hmm. So they've already let that root of bitterness grow up and, and it's affected, it affects the way they look, the way they talk, the way they act. You know, everything's negative and, and it just, you can, t you can tell when that, when that happens. But 
So, you know, nip that and, well, I don't want to do another agriculture. Uh, uh, <laughs> that that would be a that would be a good takeaway and and you know if you if you don't have to be struggling to grab a hold of someone that's been married longer than you and say hey we just can't resolve this conflict what did, what did you guys do you know mm -hmm. and if you know half the time we tell people what we did that didn't work so they won't do it you know <laughs> we don't we might not necessarily have the right answer for them but I'm sure we could find someone like Jim or Dave or, you know, someone that's, that's, that has the answer, you know, we don't always have it, but at least, at least we can do it together. You know, don't, don't let things devolve into, into uh, resentment and bitterness. So last takeaway, uh, there's a couple of them. Take divorce out of your vocabulary, period. Don't joke about it. Don't threaten it. Don't talk. Don't, it's not, if, the analogy that, that stuck with us is, you know, if you're walking across a tightrope and there's no net, you're going to try a lot harder to get to the other side, right? So divorce is that net, you know. Don't, don't put the net down there. If you never talk about it and it's not a consideration, then you're going to work twice as hard to get through whatever's causing this uh, to, to tear your marriage apart. So just just don't even... It's not in your vocabulary. And um, so we'll turn the tables on you guys. Um, can you guys tell us any godly wisdom that you have learned from some from another couple? Or I'd recommend you pray first too and pray for each other. God, let me receive this with a with a good spirit in my heart because it's hard because you know we get defensive right away and it can come across as criticism, right? But they're not. We're we're inviting someone to speak into our life. You know, the closest person to us on this earth. So we have to be able to receive what they have to have to say as well. Do you have something? Yeah. I'm circling back on the idea of vocabulary. 
uh, I would think that changing our negative vocabulary to positive. And that also connects with the quote you gave. What you have on the inside is what spills when you drink it. So am I going to be provocative or am I going to say the same thing in a very loving and friendly way? We should work on our um, vocabulary. Mm -hmm. yeah. We 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 ask Good. people to to take the words always and never out of their vocabulary too. You we always. Like, you always. You never. You never. You. I mean, we do that, and it's just not true. It's just statistically impossible to be true. <laughs> always and never. <laughs> Anybody else have? We got to go to the family life marriage conference. That's one I have a report every once. I think actually even turning that around to say like you're not my enemy because so sometimes it yeah. can be it can feel pointed if you're like I'm not your enemy yeah. like to be more like oh no like you're not my they're enemy. not my, and they're you, not the enemies that you, yeah. you touched on that and I wrote that down like oh, and I I'm for you yeah I'm, I'm for you I'm for you you know but we're gonna move ahead together yeah. we want to honor you guys time too I don't do we have till 10 after is that the oh yeah I think we're good no pearls of wisdom from there? Yeah. Come on. Uh, you guys have oh. touched on a lot of things. I think just communication is just so important and learning and um, kind of what Jim was saying is be strategic, you know. It's never wise to try to pursue something when one of you is real hot. And so sometimes it's okay to say, hey, we're going to put a pause and pin. We're going to come back. Mm -hmm. And then you take that time to pray or mm -hmm. to um, just literally calm yourself down if that's where you're at, you know. Um, but communication is just so important. When you were asking, like, well, do you just re you say sorry, period, and you move on? And it's like, no, you say, I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm for you. I don't, well, I don't want to hurt you. And then maybe now is not the time that you actually can include that issue to provoke whatever was in there, but you come back to it. And, and I think, too, your thing with the tone. I used to do this with my kids, is I would say, you know, don't touch me. And I'd go, now listen to this. Please don't touch me. Like, which one are you going to respond better to? You know, and they would go, oh, oh, okay, I get it. You know, and so we do that with our spouses, too. Like, don't snap at them. You say it with kindness. You know, and we take scripture of, you know, do unto others as you have them do unto you. Do you want to be snapped at? Probably not. So why would I snap at somebody else? You know. So just communicating and being strategic in that, and bringing the Lord into that interaction yeah. with your spouse, and yeah. not just doing it on the fly. You know, being thoughtful about it. Good. Thank you. Yeah. From another life, uh, I was given an opportunity and, and was told in a relationship if you're discussing a subject stay with the subject even if you feel like you're losing the argument or whatever's happening stay with the subject and especially when you're losing the argument don't drag in the fact that the dishes didn't get in the last 
this is not out of our marriage, this is <laughs> a previous experience, mm -hmm. but stay with the subject, and if you can't, then just walk away from right. it. Right, nice. Yeah, it always kind of devolves into mudslinging, doesn't it, yeah. otherwise? And then, did you? Uh, I think that we, we try to remember is that we're on the same team. Mm -hmm. Too often we start, you know, doing like this, but if, if we remember always that we're on the same team, so we, 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 we fight for each other, we yeah. work with each other. Sometimes I'll end with, you are so cute. <laughs> That's all we got, you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Again, see Jim, he'll refund you your money. <laughs>